Hello and welcome to a special episode of the Fabulous Pelton Cast. I'm your co-host, Kevin Pelton. And I'm Tristan Carcino. And the first round of the 2023 NFL Draft is in the books. The Seahawks have made two picks at number five overall in a pick that everyone, you know, exactly predicted was exactly what we were thinking. Go with cornerback Devin Witherspoon from Illinois. And then at number 20, the board falls perfectly. And the player that we were hoping would be there at number 20 is Jackson Smith and Jigba from Ohio State. Tristan, you better learn how to pronounce the name 100% oh, Jackson, of the time. Smith and Jigba? Okay, there we go. Outstanding. Because he is a Seahawk. And as I said on Twitter, we're toasting that tonight. Hello! <laughs> this was an amazing night to be a Seahawks fan uh, sitting through this first round of the NFL draft. Uh, some people were saying it was the most significant draft in Seahawks history and that the fifth pick was one of the most significant picks in Seahawks history. That could be debated another time. But what we do know is that the Seahawks came out of this draft with two players that we were very, very excited about. One we weren't expecting. Another we weren't expecting because of where they were taken. And the thing to me that I keep coming back to is we've talked about this over and over and over again on the Pelton cast, which is how do you win in the NFL? You pass the ball and you stop the pass. That is the way that you win in the NFL. And what the Seahawks did today is they improved themselves in both of those capacities. Rushing the passer can help you stopping the pass, but ultimately it is a means, it is a passing league. We saw it this year. We saw the Chiefs win the Super Bowl. Like that is what this league is. And the Seahawks improved themselves in both of those two places. And this is something that we have not seen that much of from the Seattle Seahawks. This is the first time in the Pete Carroll John Schneider era that we've seen a first round wide receiver or a first round quarterback. This is not just one of those positions. It's both of those positions. And it shows, we talked about this last year during the draft, about how they're building this team. The Seahawks, much like ChatGPT, are learning. <laughs> they're evolving. <laughs> I mean, I always thought that the not having taken a quarterback in the first two rounds thing was overplayed. I still didn't expect them to take one this year because of the fact that Tariq Woolen is your starter on one side of the field for you know, hopefully a decade to come. And they had gotten good cornerback play on the other side of the field, despite the fact that Trey Brown was, you know, late coming back and, and didn't really have a full season because of the fact that Mike Jackson stepped up and played so well in that position. So it, it didn't loom as a big need, but I think, I think it's to the Seahawks credit to a degree that look with the fifth pick, you, can't be overly focused on need. You can't be overly focused on what's going to help you this season. It's got to be a multi-year view. And especially once the top two quarterbacks or the top three quarterbacks, I should say, because we always knew Bryce Young, but CJ Stroud and, and Anthony Richardson were a mystery right up until the time the number two pick was made by the Houston Texans. Uh, once those guys were off the board, uh, you know, I think that if you're having taking a long-term view, this could be just as much of a need for the Seahawks or a value pick for the Seahawks as an edge. I totally agree. And, and this was something where we talked about the Seahawks had said, 
that they recognized the unique place that they were in with regards to drafting a quarterback because they're not accustomed to drafting within the top five. But they also recognized the unique place they were within to draft an elite level quarterback and going out and taking somebody that maybe he won't need the same kind of time to develop. Obviously, Tariq Woolen was amazing. But if you can have two of the best corners in the league across from each other, plus the kind of depth that they're building in the secondary, they've seen what it looks like to build a defense back to front. They understand what that looks like in this league. And if you have an elite level secondary, everything else becomes a lot easier. The pass rush becomes a lot easier. The linebacking play becomes a lot easier. So I think for them to build this way and understand that stopping the pass is their number one goal. Also the physicality and the intimidation aspect of it with a player like Devin Witherspoon, they are building something. I balked at the idea a year ago that this was a, a restart of the Seahawks, you know, dating back to 2010-11 period. But what they're doing right now and how they're building right now is feeling very, very similar and that they're building in those places, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, once it happened, all of a sudden, like, all of the pictures, even the draft clues from Pete Carroll started to make sense. No, did they? That, yeah. Mina Kimes did point out Witherspoon in response to the Love is Blind draft clue. So shouts to Mina on that one. But like, Devin Witherspoon, where's number 31? Great open field tackler. J.D. Kelly said spiritually his comparison for Devin Witherspoon was Cam Chancellor. Like, it it makes sense that Seahawks would be attracted to a player like this. I thought it was interesting. I, I retweeted this from the Pelton cast account. Front of the pod, Brenna Green from uh, Coin TV down in Portland did an interview with KJ Wright and asked him who she who he thought the Seahawks were going to take at number five. And he said Witherspoon. And it kind of made really? sense that, you know, a Legion of Boomy player would appeal to KJ Wright. Uh, I guess he thinks they're going to take Hendon Hooker later in the draft. Yeah, it's still a chance. You can't rule that out for certain. But... You know, even though everyone talks about Devin Witherspoon's tackling, like his ability in coverage, also very impressive. Uh, according to ESPN stats and info, uh, the more interceptions than touchdowns allowed in coverage during his college career. And the lowest QBR is the nearest defender among qualifying players in FBS last season. In the country. Yes, excluding nobody. Wow. And he's an amazing tackler. Yes. I mean, we were talking, this is Richard Sherman-like talent, right? And the Seahawks... I mean, it's they, weird because it's like, it's such a different formula than the Richard Sherman, Tariq Woolen formula. The Seahawks, I mean, it's it's going to be really interesting to see what happens when you get a guy who has this track record of playing successfully at the quarterback position in the Pete Carroll, you know, style defense, because we've never seen it before. It's never happened. It's going to work. I mean, I'm it's, sure it's, I'm confident it's going to work, but it is interesting as an experiment. But that's the other thing that the Seahawks love to see from their corners. They like corners who can tackle. And it was a problem last year. I mean, tackling everywhere was a problem for the Seahawks, but they really like corners who are able to tackle as an underrated aspect of Richard Sherman's tenure on the Seahawks was how good of a tackler he was. So in terms of the physical profile, not a very Seahawksy traditional cornerback, uh, Listed at six foot five, eleven and a half. You see it in different places. Arm length 31 and a quarter inches, historically 32 inch arms were the Seahawks' preferred minimum. We've already seen that start, start of start two, as you said at the beginning. Uh, 
learn and evolve and adapt over time. So, I mean, DJ Reed was very successful in the system with 31 and 5 eighths inch arms and is even shorter than Devin Witherspoon. So, you know, I think his success opened their eyes to, you know, going beyond that classic physical profile. Uh, as far as value goes, you know, Ben has been charting basically what positions outside of quarterback are most and least valuable to take at different positions. And where where does cornerback fit within that range? So PFF did a study earlier this week. And, you know, in, in that uh, study of surplus value on your rookie contracts, it, uh, non-quarterback positions, it was wide receiver and I, I think edge, although I'm having a tough time distinguishing it on this chart, we're near the top tackle. Uh, was predictably near the top. Uh, then interior defensive line was a little bit below them. And then quarterback is next below that. So it it is down from the highest value positions, but we're not talking about some of the you know positions where it, it is pretty clearly a mistake to take them in the top five. Yeah, no, I, I think it is com- completely defensible to take a cornerback with that fifth pick. I mean, we saw again, Sauce Gardner going last year, and completely reshaping what that Jets defense looked like, especially from the physicality of the Jets defense. And I think if that's something, when you watch that team and how they hit and how fast they were, they were young, they were fresh, they hit hard. If that's something that the Seahawks secondary can look anything like, it is a very, very different team. It is a game-changing type player, possibly, for them. But also, you have to come back to the depth that they have in the secondary. It's not just they're relying on one player. You know, they're able to withstand some attrition, some injuries along the way. And I think that that's what they've built up, both having the, you know, the three-man safety core that they've built, and now a very, very deep uh, cornerback team. Yeah, I mean, you've got two guys at every spot, basically, because Kobe Bryant's still in the mix at nickel. Like, Kobe Bryant was one of the most you know, acclaimed basically corners in the in the country a year ago. Witherspoon was in that role in 2022. Consensus All-American in his third year as a starter, his fourth year at Illinois. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I still would have been interested in trading down given the way that the board fell. And one of the things you wonder about is, number one, what did the offers look like to move down? And number two, how much did they think about Detroit potentially taking Witherspoon. They ultimately did make that trade down themselves with Arizona going down to 12, but they were a team that had previously been expected to take a cornerback with that sixth pick. So you were mentioning to me earlier, we were talking about Jalen Carter, and you were saying that your idea of value in the draft, obviously value comes from the position you're taking players almost primarily, right? Because I think that a lot of times you should be thinking about players in the draft as positions even more than you're thinking about them as individuals. Almost the exact opposite way that I think most NFL teams approach the situation, which is they view every individual as a snowflake, but ultimately you're kind of drafting positions in a lot of ways and you're trying to find value at different positions because you understand that with running backs, with tight ends, players like that, linebackers, inside linebackers in particular, you're able to find value there. Anyone the Lions drafted today we'll get to them but uh you're able to find value at those positions later in the draft and through free agency in different places so ultimately what you're drafting is kind of positions because what you want to do with these high picks is fill yourselves up with players that are in important positions and get excess value on those contracts that you have uh but you mentioned to me that we were talking about jalen carter 
if the C- when we were assuming the Seahawks were going to draft Jalen Carter, as the betting market said, I, all the way up until I heard the pick come in, I was expecting to hear Jalen Carter's name. And I had in my head the astronaut meme, right? It's like it was Jalen Carter. It's like always was Jalen Carter. Again, in my head, I was imagining that the Seahawks have wanted Jalen Carter all season up to now. Chris Mortensen mentioned that there are a couple of teams who took him straight off the board. And whether it was because of the legal stuff or because of how he showed up to his pro day or whatever, the Seahawks may have been one of those teams that flat took Jalen Carter off their board. Obviously, they had the chance to draft him. But you were saying the way that you approach value is how close to after your pick in reality, not you've made up a story or whatever that somebody's going to take Rashad Penny after you. Only running back that matters. But in reality, how likely is the team directly after you to select the player that you selected? And I think in both instances tonight, the team directly behind them would have taken the player that they selected. I mean, it's impossible to say because the the challenge with and you know why you're saying these are stories about like the Rashad Penny interest. It's unfalsifiable. If you take them, you never get to find out where they were going to go. We exactly. got to find out with Jalen Carter that he dropped to ninth eventually where the Eagles traded up one spot to take him is part of perhaps the most acclaimed first round draft haul. Uh, I, I don't know if we're going to talk about the second piece of that later, uh, if the Eagles are going to come up later. But yeah, I mean, we just never know what the Lions were going to do otherwise with Witherspoon, where he was going to go. It, it was interesting that, you know, it was considered between him and uh, and Christian Gonzalez, who was going to be the, the number one cornerback in this in this class. And, and Gonzalez was one spot ahead of Witherspoon, who was eighth in uh, third Pelton brother Danny Kelly's final big board at the Raiders. Where, where was Devin Witherspoon, by the way, on the big board? There was, I'm sorry, he was eighth. Gonzalez oh, was seventh. Oh, okay, got it. They were one spot apart. And then Gonzalez ends up slipping dramatically, even going behind, I think. Yeah, because the commanders took a, a cornerback. So he wasn't even the second cornerback taken, which was an interesting draft night outcome, to say the least. Okay, and I come back to that initial point of where do you win football games? By passing the ball and stopping the pass. And I think there were a lot of teams across the NFL who forgot that point tonight, <laughs> which was th- there were a few teams who drafted quarterbacks early and understood, right, like, Quarterback early in the draft, having them on those rookie deals, hugely important. From there, I think process-wise, this was maybe one of the worst drafts we've seen in recent memory across the league. Two running backs go ahead of the first wide receiver. I mean, obviously, this was not considered a particularly strong wide receiver class, but we're very excited about the top one. I mean, we did see a lot of tackles, which are important positions in the pass game. We did see edge rushers. We did see cornerbacks. It's mostly the Lions you're talking about. Here, <laughs> it's I just think. the Lions. I mean, the Falcons and the Lions. Bijan Robinson at eight as well, yes. Uh, and then Jackson Smith and Jibba with the 20th pick. Every pick Whoa. that's passing. Yeah, I mean, that's the key. It's like every time these teams are taking, every time they're taking a tackle, we're celebrating because oh, even yeah. though that is a position of great value, it's not remotely a need for the Seahawks. Hopefully they will not be drafting a tackle on in the first two days in a decade because hopefully Charles Cross and Abe Lucas are the starters at those positions that long. Uh, and then anytime they're taking an off-ball linebacker or a running back, we're celebrating. And that happened a few times between picks five and 20. When literally every pick that's happening, you're just waiting and you're like, not just Jackson Smith and Jimba, please no. 
And they keep going by, they keep going by. And all of a sudden that Seahawks pick is getting closer and closer. And you're like, there's only two more players left. And you get there. It's finally the 20th pick listening to the, I had the ESPN broadcast. My ears while I was at baseball, of course. And you're listening to the broadcast. They're talking about the Seahawks need to stop the run. It's like, well, they picked up Jordan Reed or Jer- Jordan Reed, Jaron Jaron Reed, not the tight end. Uh, they picked up Jaron Reed and Dre Jones and Bobby Wagner. And you're kind of like, how much of a need is this actually, right? But it felt like the broadcast was building toward everybody knows something. I'm sure that the internet knows what's going on. And I think a lot of times that the broadcast is like teasing what the internet already knows. I'm trying not to pay attention. And I'm just like, they're like, oh yeah, also maybe wide receiver. Not a lot of wide receiver depth at after DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. I'm just like, please God. And finally, the, I'm like stressed. My heart is pounding when this pick is come. I was more nervous about this pick than I was about the fifth pick because the fifth pick was kind of gravy. Like whomever it was, aside from maybe two or three players they could have taken, I'm fine with whomever, right? If it would have been Tyree Wilson, that's okay. We knew they were going to be drafting Bijan Robinson. But if it would have been Jalen Carter, we... yeah, no, we they were not drafting Bijan Robinson. Okay. If it would have been Jalen Carter, if it would have been Tyree Wilson, I'm like, I'm fine. I am good with whatever they want to do here. This pick, I was not good with whatever they wanted to do there. I'm like preparing myself for whomever else they're going to draft. And I'm like, okay, you know, Mazzy Smith, sure, fine, whatever. And as the pick is coming in, it gets announced, Jackson and Jigba, and I'm screaming in the car for the first time, I think, in maybe Seahawks history in the first round. Have they taken the player, like, Trufant, maybe? Like, it has been really, really rare. I was like, this is the guy who I want the Seahawks to draft. And the pick freaking comes in. We are screaming for Jackson Smith and Jigba. As it is happening, it is incredible, baby. Let's freaking go. I mean, Charles Cross is who we wanted the Seahawks to draft but it's last different. year. It but... was like, if it's Charles Cross, great. If it's somebody else, fine. Like, I'm not going to be yelling about Charles Cross being selected. It's, it's just not as excited to, exciting to pick a left tackle as it is a wide receiver. And it was the shock that he was out there. And look, this is part of why, and granted, I don't know as much as the Seahawks about what everyone else in the league is thinking. Obviously, this is this is the, the me as a GM problem. I was ready to trade up starting at pick 17. Like I saw what it took to get from 17 to 14 for the, for the Steelers to trade up with the Patriots. And is that I was a fourth like, rounder? I think so. And I, I went and did the math. I put this in our group chat that like if you took the Seahawks third round pick and 20 and traded it for 17 and the fourth round pick the Patriots had, it would have been basically an exact match on the Jimmy Johnson trade chart. And that would have been fine to me to assure you got Jackson Smith and Jigba, but everything played out perfectly for that him to still be on the board. I now I thought Mina pump faked me because she tweeted something about it's Smith because of the fact that I guess that you know Nolan Smith was at the top of her draft board at 20. And and it was Smith. It was Smith, uh, but also and also in Jigba. Uh, he was second on my draft board. I would have been totally fine if they would have taken Nolan Smith. Like it would have made sense to me. Another like one you, would... you have a draft board. <laughs> no, it's not like a it's just it's like a, a, a running draft board of like, okay, here's who I'd like next in your yeah, head. Yeah. It's like my draft board didn't include Bryce Young because I just knew the Seahawks were not going to have a chance yeah. to draft Bryce Young. Your so I took him board. off took my mental off. draft. 
Uh, and and we found out that he lasted a considerable amount longer before going at pick 30 to the Eagles. But like I was already like preparing the notes about Nolan Smith, and I was like, okay, it makes sense. He's fourth in the ESPN analytics sack projections, so on and so forth. And then I see in our group chat that it is Smith and Jigba, and that's Woo! when I had that celebration. Let's freaking go. So number uh, nine on Danny Kelly's big board. The Seahawks wow. got two of his top 10. They got two of PFF's top 10. I mean, obviously, you have a better chance of getting one of the top 10 if you pick number five, but getting one of them at 20 is pretty awesome. Uh, Danny, as we talked about during the live pod, comped him to Amon Ra St. Brown. And I forget who you were saying was the unexciting, the boring, I guess it was the boring tape uh, after that, but uh, that you'd rather get someone who's comped to Amon Ra St. Brown than... Oh, Maybe God, I can't remember who it was. Attaboy? I don't know. A monster 2021 season. He's playing alongside Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave, <laughs> who were both drafted higher than him in uh-huh. the NFL draft last year. Garrett Wilson, in particular, was extraordinarily productive as an NFL rookie. And he, playing next to them, has 95 catches for 1,606 yards, nine touchdowns. And Cody, as Mike Sean alluded to in the in the live podcast, 15 catches for 347 yards and three touchdowns in the Rose Bowl Ooh. against Utah, setting a score record, an FBS bowl game record, both of those <gasps> for single game receiving yards. The 15 catches were also a score record. He had already done that. He had already set that score record previously in the year against Nebraska when he had 15 catches for 240 yards. Uh, the single season receiving total, a Big Ten record. Like, you can't get any more productive. He had Jackson more yards than either like... Garrett Wilson or Chris Olave on Ohio State. Correct. What the hell? <laughs> I mean, I'm happy, but like, are you kidding me, NFL? You let this dude fall to pick 20? You let he didn't him play that much play... for a year? I mean... You know, you want to talk about that receiving trio? Like, you let him fall to play with DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. Oh. <laughs> I, I mean, Jackson Smith and Jigba, I don't think this is exaggeration. Has the potential. I'm not saying it is likely to happen. But there is a possibility that he could be the best wide receiver in the league. Okay, so Wilson and Olave did miss some time, but even on a per-game basis, Smith and Who Jigba cares? Would still had the most yards per game. And you can't just say, well, he was freed up because of them, because maybe they were freed up because of him. I understand that it's a very, very deep receiving core. Uh, but like, are you kidding me? And those players both were good in the NFL, unlike Georgia defenders. People are losing themselves, falling all over themselves to credit Georgia defenders. Greatest defense ever in college. And it's like, well, we're in the NFL now, motherfucker. And a lot of those players have not translated very well. Garrett Wilson, on the other hand, was he offensive rookie of the year? No. I believe he was. Yeah, the Jets. Okay. The, he, did Charles Cross wasn't. I believe the Jets did sweep, yes. Offensive and defensive rookie of the year. Yes. I'm just going to throw this out there. Bold prediction. Ready for it? <laughs> I mean, is is can you not see the similarities between these two drafts? I, First I pick, can see the similarities. And I will tell drafts. you who is not walking through that door, and that's Zach Wilson. Right? <laughs> that's a good this point. was a team that, like, Garrett, Garrett pushed Wilson, for the playoffs with Zach Wilson as quarterback. Garrett Wilson won that award on the strength of the games that Zach Wilson didn't start. <laughs> who was Chris Streveler? Was that who it was who came in? Well, Mike White is the one who... No, there's the White... But the yes, Streveler. 
Chris Strebler came in and was exciting as Jets quarterback. <laughs> but you see the quarterback with the first pick, the receiver with the next pick, one of the best receivers in the draft. Am I getting ahead of myself here by comparing these? And they swept I mean, offensive th- and defensive rookie of the year, right? I think the only, yes, again, they swept. The only it would, reason it wouldn't that, you know, you wouldn't expect Smith and Jigbe to be similarly productive is, again, that he has two Pro Bowl. Has, has Tyler Lockett ever made the Pro Bowl? He's at least a Pro Bowl caliber receiver alongside him. Go ahead and defend Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf, right? Like, because Jackson Smith and Jigba is going to be open. He is going to be a beast. And rookie wide receivers have changed over time. I would say it is almost not bold enough to predict that they're going to win offensive and defensive rookie of the year. I, I think it's plenty bold as the ombudsman of bold <laughs> predictions. I'm going to go ahead and give you this one. That's okay. right. Taylor Luckett has never been selected to the Pro Bowl as a receiver. Oh, God. So dumb. <laughs> he was a kick returner in the Pro Bowl. So why did Jackson Smith... Like one of the best receivers in the NFL year after year? Just by advanced stats, so good. But someone who has had a tendency to break down at times and deal with injuries, even though he played, you know, he only missed, he missed one game last season. It was the first game that he had missed since 2016, if I'm reading this correctly. When he was in high school? Tyler Lockett. Oh, Tyler Lockett. I thought you were talking about Jackson Smith and Jigba. Jackson Smith and Jigba missed a lot of time last year. That's what I was going to say. He only missed one game? He he dealt with a hamstring injury. Did not finish a single game. Had had five catches. injuries a lot, though. But so we've seen the Seahawks offense drop off pretty dramatically when that happens. Or last year when DK was dealing with a variety of injuries, even though he didn't necessarily miss a ton of time. And you know what's very helpful to have in those situations? Another very good receiver. So even though this wasn't maybe as pressing and obvious a need as the defensive line. I, I do not agree with that. I think this is a more obvious need than defense. I did think defensive line is an overrated need for the Seahawks right now. I mean, they just need some bodies there, quite frankly. So I do think that's something they're going to address on day they'll, two. They'll find, but, you could find bodies on the defensive line. I'm. We have said this since the start of the offseason that wide receiver was an important spot for them to address in the draft this year, that this pick was the place to do it. And we didn't necessarily know at that point that Jackson Smith and Jigba was going to be out there. Uh, But it like 10 out of 10, no notes for the Seahawks on their process on this draft pick. Oh my God. Incredible. Incredible. I mean, based upon those stats from two seasons ago, I understand he was injured last year. You would say that he probably should be selected ahead of Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave. So why wasn't he? Let's get into that. And that's probably pro- largely about the physical profile. Only a middling athlete. His uh, relative athletic score was 8.34, which put him like barely in the green category due to his small size, uh, six foot and a half height, 196, 452, 4.5 40 at his pro day. He didn't run it at the combine, although he did tell reporters at that point he was uh, 100% physically with a poor 10-yard split. But you look at what he does do well. His three-cone and 20-yard shuttle drills were elite because of the fact that he is super agile and a great route runner. And I, I'm i not saying that I don't like good athletes because obviously I do. Like when the Seahawks took Tariq Woolen last year, I was thrilled like everybody else. And we pay a lot of attention to relative athletic score and going back to when it was Zach Whitman doing three Sigma uh, coming on to help us prepare for the draft. 
there's always been something that's been important to the Seahawks and they've had a lot of success with. But my favorite type of players are like highly productive technicians that are underrated because of their lack of physical stature or, or obvious speed. I mean, I, you know, you go back to Russell Wilson at quarterback going to the third, slipping to the third round because of his height. Those are my favorite type of players. Jackson Smith and Jigba is like everything I want in a draft pick. He's just a receiver. That's it. I mean, I think did Justin Jefferson go lower because of, uh, he didn't go this low, did he? J. Jeff? I think he went lower, I believe. But was that because of... He, he went 22nd, so basically the exact yeah. same point. But was that because of he didn't have amazing, like, uh, like 40 times and things like that? His, his physical scores up. weren't as good? I mean, the obvious high-end comparison for Jackson Smith and Jigba is Cooper Cup. And somebody who... Really good receivers. There are a lot of different ways to play the receiver position, I will say. And the number yep. one way to play the receiver position is by getting the fuck open. And, <laughs> like, I mean, ultimately, that's what it is, right? I mean, you, you saw his quote to the Seahawks media about what he does well, right? What does he do well? Get open. That's what he does. <laughs> and, and if he's been doing it at a very, very high level in, you know, the probably the highest of competition playing at Ohio State, right? Playing in the Rose Bowl against, that was against Utah, right? Against a yep. very good Utah defense. This is what he does. And that is the number one way to play the position. Again, like this, the Devin Witherspoon pick is awesome. We're excited about it. I fucking always love a cornerback, right? And if we can have Tariq Woolen and Devin Witherspoon in our lives for the next five, six years, anchoring those corner positions, we are more than happy. The CX never really found the pair for Richard Sherman, right? There was no official like fourth Legion of Boom member. It, it was it was a transient position. You know, I guess we'll say Brandon Browner was the main one, but they never had the it was, two it was the drummer and spinal tap of the Legion of Boom. And to have, if you can have the two lockdown corners, that's very exciting. But for me, having a receiver who has both, I mean, Tyler Lockett's getting older, right? DK Metcalf is a radically different type of receiver than Jackson Smith and Jigba. And at the live show last week, I asked who the Seahawks number three receiver was, and people threw out the name Dariq Young. Like, it was it was bleak after DK and Tyler. And it's like D. Eskridge, Dariq Young. We'll see. Yeah. Like, this is, this is a massive position of need. And for the Seahawks... To both upgrade, obviously this offseason they've upgraded a lot defensively, but to upgrade defensively and offensively in the same draft, I am freaking hyped. Uh, they're off to a I, great I am, start. This Eagles draft, I am so, I'm just like draft all the Georgia players you want. <laughs> it is smoke and mirrors. It's a facade. I, I am, and now that the Seahawks didn't draft Jalen Carter, I am so incredibly out on Jalen Carter. It's just like, I will tell you straight up, I watched two BCS games, uh, 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 playoff games, watching Jalen Carter every single snap, and not one time did I see that motherfucker do anything. I think a lot of other people saw him do things a lot in of those games. Times. In those games, he did nothing. What, did he do something against fucking Mississippi State? Like, I'm sorry, but there is, there is a big inequity in the SEC, bigger than there is in the Big Ten. Of, I don't know that I agree with that. Of talent. No, there absolutely is. The SEC has a huge drop-off from the top end 
to the bottom end as far as talent goes. And I think the Big Ten is a much more consistent conference. I personally, if I had to choose a player who excelled on the field, would rather have a player who did it on the field in the Big Ten than the SEC, especially on that Georgia defense. So uh, I, Justin Jefferson had an outstanding relative athletic score. So why he dropped his mystery <laughs> to me. <laughs> you know. He also played in like one of the best offenses ever. <laughs> Scholars are divided. I guess they were giving Burrow all the credit for his production. But could that be a similar situation, right? Where all those LSU receivers were awesome in the NFL? Just consistently, boom, 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 boom. They were all awesome because they were awesome in college. And the same with Ohio State. Like, could we have three very, very good young receivers with Marvin Harrison coming from Ohio State who all are excelling in the NFL? Absolutely. And I think it's likely. Yeah. How about, how about this? I think there is a chance that Jackson Smith and Jigba leads the Seahawks in receiving yards next year. I mean, I'm going to take that bet if you're offering it. I don't know what I'm you, saying what, there's a chance. What kind I would of need odds? odds. I would need odds. <laughs> Adam Schefter style. I need odds. <laughs> but like, I I think there is I think there is a significant chance that he leads. Like Geno Smith loves throwing to open receivers. I, well, yeah, but Tyler Lockett also gets open better than all Have two of them! Like, Tyler Lockett would need to miss some playing time for In offense, this to happen. next year, here's what we're going to be saying. It's actually not next year. It's this calendar year, and that's why I'm hyped. But Less we're going, five months away. Barely four months away. We're going to be really. there in September, in October, saying to ourselves, having an offense with Jackson Smith and Jigba and Tyler Lockett at the same time is unfair. And DK, like you haven't even and mentioned DK DK. Metcalf. But that's what I'm saying. They both do similar types of things. Yes. Tyler Lockett and Jackson Smith and Jigba are always open. But and they do also, it's, things... it's going to make DK Metcalf's life a lot easier. Yeah. They do similar things in ways that are amplify each other rather than compete with each other. So if you have two receivers who are always open, that's, a good, that's never going to compete with each other. <laughs> I mean, to some degree. What are we going to do with all these open receivers? (laughs) I mean, the the other big question with Smith and Jigba. That again is not an issue for the Seahawks right now is whether he can be as effective winning outside as he is in the slot. But if you drop him into a lineup with Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf, the other the other thing we have to consider put him in the slot. (laughs) uh, That's the I'm sure that's the plan. The other thing we do have to consider is at some point, Tyler Lockett will not be Tyler Lockett that we've known anymore. I mean, he is not he is not young anymore. He he will be 31 in September. But I, I think so that's, that's why they had to start thinking about this now. I agree. Again, it's my 10 of 10. No notes. Yeah, they nailed this one. Oh, man. And again, the, the run of wide receivers starts right after them. Yep. Four consecutive. They're not taking the fourth. And and I had already rationalized in my head. I was like, you know what? Zay Flowers, it'll be fine. Jordan Addison, sure. You know, and look, some of these other wide receivers might be good. But if I had to bet it on It might be one, better. Yeah, I mean, look, it, the NFL draft is noted for its uncertainty. But if I had to bet on one of these receivers now, and this is the same. I've said it over and over and over again. Pronounced it so incorrectly so many times. But the one player who I truly cared about the Seahawks drafting in this draft was Jackson Smith Njigba. Oh, no. no. Uh, That was for old time's sake. Uh, (laughs) Don't bring it back. And I guess the one last thing that I want to mention in the first round before we get to the second round was I think the fascinating piece about this draft was 
uh, we had we debated on this podcast about whether the Seahawks actually were going to draft a quarterback. And I think the way that the draft played out, obviously it was not Will Levis, was we just will never know. It hasn't been Will Levis. Well, I guess we'll see. I mean, yes. if they, we, but we're talking about with the fifth pick or like with their first pick. If it gets to the second round, at some point, it's just value drafting Will Levis. Right. You know what I mean? Like if they draft Hennon Hooker or Will Levis in the fourth round, like, you know, it's a different conversation, obviously. But yeah, we never got to find out what they really thought of Anthony Richardson. We'll, maybe we'll get that leaked after the fact, but... When he's good. When he's winning MVP, all of a sudden <laughs> the team will have loved him. I feel like the Josh Allen thing leaked well before he was good. You you keep saying this. I don't think that's fair to the Seahawks front office, I just, and I, think, I keep telling you. I think you that. that the stories are amplified about I, quarterbacks. I mean, sure, yeah, like the story gets told a lot more, but that doesn't mean they started telling it only when Josh Allen got that good. young man's name turned out to be Brock Osweiler. You know what <laughs> I mean? Like it's not. It doesn't ring as well. Brock Osweiler uh, is not very Seahawksy as a quarterback. <laughs> he was. You know who he was very. Who? John Elway. <laughs> John Elway. Uh, understand we... what I'm saying, but but we just we didn't find out. Like the reality was, if the Colts hadn't drafted Anthony Richardson, we might be talking about Jackson Smith and Jigba and Anthony Richardson, which would have been a wild one. But I think ultimately, when you're building for the short term and for the long term, I think this draft kind of hit both points. I think the Seahawks are a better team in 2023 than they would have than they were before this draft, and they're a better team in 2026. Than they were before this draft. So I, I, and the risk is lower ultimately, you know, with a quarterback, it is you're hitching your franchise at some point to that player. It is a time bomb, a quarterback, one way or another, good or bad. That is what that is. And the Seahawks pushed that conversation off. Gino has a year to, again, we'll see what happens with Will Levis and Hendon Hooker or Jake Hayner a little bit further down the road. And I wouldn't be shocked if the Seahawks ended up drafting one of those players if the value is right. But ultimately, this is Geno's team. Yeah, and they just made Geno's life that much easier by giving him another weapon at receiver. No, I will tell you also, Geno after today is like, fuck yes. Geno's Gino is happy today. Oh, yeah. He, I mean, he texted some reporter. I, I forget who said that. <laughs> Did uh, he? Or I, they texted him and he, he replied. Uh, we won't have to wait very long for the next Seahawks pick. The, the final pick, the last piece of the Russell Wilson trade will come into play with the 37th pick, 6th overall, or 5th overall in the second round uh, on Friday night. Then they also have their own 52nd pick in the second round and their own 83rd pick in the third round as part of day two. Uh, the top players remaining... I'll miss from... you, Russell Wilson trade. <laughs> I will remember. Look, we don't... Just because the trade is complete doesn't mean the trade is uh, going away. The It'll memory of the trade us. lives on in our hearts. It will always be with us as long as the players the Seahawks drafted with those picks are part of the roster or players they eventually trade them for. Like, the, you know, the like how the Kurt Thomas Richard or the Richard Lewis trade continues to supply like all of the Oklahoma City Thunder players. I don't know. I brought you down on a night. Why did you on, on the <laughs> night on the day of my daughter, Jackson Smith and Jigba's draft? You bring me down like this. Anyways, best remaining available from Danny's big board. Uh, we have Michael Meyer, number 13 overall. <laughs> nope. Joey Porter no, Jr., you. who are the, they are safely not going to be drafting. <laughs> Probably not. I would, at you, know, you know what? Oh, you can never have too many corners. They're not going to draft another corner. Osiris Tor Torrance, who would fill a need at number 18. I think that is a very, very likely one. 
safety, Brian Branch is number 19. Uh, another tight end, Darnell Washington, who Danny talked about liking a lot for the Seahawks, number 20. And then we'll kind of fun Levis. Darnell Washington being out there with those receivers. Uh, at 21. I personally, I feel like 37, they got they my priority would be to address the interior defensive line. I know you've downplayed that need, but I think they need someone short-term and long-term at that position, and that there will probably be a bit of a drop-off after the, you know, maybe that's a position where you could trade down a little bit from 37th if a couple of guys are still on the board because you've got Adetamua, Tamiwa, Adabare from Northwestern, and Keanu Benton from, uh, I think, Pitt are both out there right now. And two guys that Danny has in the 30s, so they would be reasonable value that we talked about a little bit during the the live pod. What, what about Joe Tippmann? Uh, I mean, I think he would probably be behind Osiris Torrance among offensive linemen. But could also play center as well. But Torren, Torrance would be my next guy, and then the other guy after that would be Keon White as an edge rusher. Keon Benton is actually, Benton is actually from Wisconsin. Okay, so misremembering. Of course, Pitt was. We already know that it was uh, uh, Kalijah Cansey who was from Pitt, who is off the board. So obviously, a lot of options left, and the Seahawks will be drafting relatively soon. I mean, I do think that defensive line is going to be. They're they're going to look to the lines fairly soon here because obviously they've looked to the outside and the, uh, you know, the receiving core, but. I, I do think that they are going to fortify the lines, both offensively and defensively, in the draft tomorrow. There will be one pick at least on each of those lines in the second and third rounds. What are the odds they take a running back tomorrow? I do not think that. I think they might take a running back in the draft. I think they probably will take a running back in the draft. It would draft. be very surprising if they didn't take a running back in the draft. They have very little depth at that position right now. But I think it'll be the fourth round. I also, again, I would not be shocked if they took a quarterback. If Yeah. If they took a quarterback and just as somebody to, you know, it creates a little bit of a Drew Locke problem. They don't really have a roster spot for a quarterback, but... I mean, you could keep three. I don't think that part of it is unreasonable. But if it was, you know, again, if they drafted Jake Hayner, let's freaking go. Uh, But if it was somebody who fell to the fourth round, fifth round, something like that, I think that's the territory that they take both running back and quarterback. I wouldn't be shocked if they took Levis tomorrow. I don't expect it, but I wouldn't be shocked. I do not think Will Levis will make it to the Seahawks. I also don't think that. That's it's a classic scenario of someone probably trades up to thirty three. It's either that or the situation where he's poison. Yeah, it was the who was the other quarterback who lasted much longer than expected in the draft with Jacob Eason in twenty twenty. Jacob Eason. There was like, yeah, like one of the top quarterbacks out there. Jacob Eason went in like the fourth round. He's in the fourth round. Was Jacob Eason really considered that high though? I think there was a lot of expectation he might go in the in the second round. I think sometimes I don't mean to it. give credit to NFL teams. People think that NFL teams people stereotype NFL teams as being more about big armed white quarterbacks than they actually are. And I think today we kind of saw like how how differently the league approached. Again, there's no white quarterback draft in the first round how the league approached the three quarterbacks who were drafted vis-a-vis Will Levis, I think that some of the... We are factoring in the opposite party's bias when we're judging these things, and that's why somebody like Will Levis is, like, at some point, minus 500 to be the number two pick of the draft. Uh, 
that almost to like the NFL's detriment, they are we we just got it wrong. It was running backs today. <laughs> you know, it was running backs this year, not big armed white quarterbacks. But again, I do think that sometimes people factor in their own perspectives of what an NFL team will do more than what an NFL team actually will do. Uh, Jake Fromm was the quarterback who was sitting out there until the fifth round in the 2020 draft. You don't remember the like constant Broncos shots now? of his living room. Is that right? Is he on the Broncos? No. He is now with the Washington Commanders. Spent last year on their practice squad. So, Will Levis is not Jacob Eason and Jake Fromm. I I think that Will Levis is a different quarterback. We'll see. I can I think he is more. God, who is the guy the Panthers drafted? Who was out for Matt Corral? I think he's a little bit more Matt Corral or something like that. But uh, there will be a time that Will Levis starts in the league, or at least is given the opportunity to start in the league, which is not the case for Jake Fromm, Jacob Eason. I mean, Matt Corral didn't go in. First off, Jacob Eason, didn't he start a game? He at least played last year. Uh, Matt Corral went in the third round. Jacob Eason ended up on the Panthers, didn't he? There was the chance of him starting against the Seahawks in week one when Carson Wentz was in health and safety protocols back in 2021. Uh, Yeah, he was with the Panthers last year and did see a little bit of action. So. It'll be different, though. I think Will Levis will be given an opportunity. Again, he's he's a different type of quarterback than those quarterbacks. And I don't, I again, I don't think he'll make it to the Seahawks. And I don't think the Seahawks would take him if he was there. Opening up the can of worms of drafting a quarterback is probably not worth it unless it is somebody who you're like, this is possibly our franchise guy. So if it's Anthony Richardson and they're like, this is our dude, we have the fifth pick in the draft, we have to take this player and develop him. They obviously do not feel this way about Will Levis. They had two chances to draft him. It was the thing that the, the Ringer draft pod talked about over and over and over again when talking about the Texans, where they were like, if the Texans actually think Will Levis is their dude, and they're like, we love you, Will Levis. You're the future of our, our team, right? You're the face of the franchise quarterback. We'll see you at pick 12. You know what I mean? Like, if there's somebody you actually think is the future of your franchise, could be that type of player, you don't wait until the 37th pick to draft them. But you said it yourself. It could be just a case of we think the value is too good to pass up here. And I don't think it's not in the second round, though. That's not in the second round. The further you get, the pressure that there is on Geno Smith and the organization to play him is different. The pressure on the organization to play him as the 37th pick is zero. Yeah, but it's not that good of value at the 37th pick. Really. It depends how high you have him on your board. We don't know I, what the Seahawks draft board looks like. If you if you think he's 21st, like Danny did, now granted, there's guys higher than 21st. So, you know, maybe not yet, but they're not drafting. I could see them if Henry Hooker would, falls to the third round. I could see them taking a flyer on somebody like that. I would be excited. I'm hoping that Will Levis goes ahead of them, frankly. You heard my list. You're hoping that he goes ahead of them because you don't want the Seahawks to draft him? And because it makes it more likely the guys who are on my list will be out there. Yeah, they're not taking him anyway. So, but we will see what the Seahawks do in rounds two through seven through the of the draft. But these are the most important picks. They're top two. I mean, and... it's offensive rookie of the year and defensive rookie of the year <laughs> selected today. If you could believe it, you're reintegrating do... the franchise in in a way. I mean, again, I have not seen the comparison to the Jets draft class from last year where they went out and drafted 
the cornerback first, the wide receiver second, wide receiver from Ohio State. It's just the synergy is a beautiful thing with Geno Smith throwing the ball. Uh, I think we have to be pretty excited about the Seahawks right now and how much better they are as a team coming out of this draft in one day. It is a different place confidence-wise that we have in the front office and process-wise than the front office has exhibited. This is not them drafting Jordan Brooks in the first round. This is not them drafting Rashad Penny in the first round. I think we have to approach the Seahawks front office in a different way, and they had an amazing draft today. Well, offensive and defensive rookie of the year is both coming from the Seahawks. You heard it if here you first. Like, if you like that sort of thing. You heard it here exclusively. <laughs> we anticipate being back Sunday night, Monday morning in your feeds with a full seven-round draft recap. But until then, thanks for listening. Thanks. Oh, Jackson Smith and Jigba. So good!